Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. So I've got a decent amount to say, and I'm nervous that I don't have enough time to say it. So we're going to jump right in, okay? Um, If you guys don't mind turning in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 20. Um, Today my message is topical, so we're which is not what you're used to. So we're going to look at a bunch of different passages. Um, But this is where we're starting. It'll be up on the screen. I'm going to just pray really quick. Um, Heavenly Father, I do ask that you would um, just allow any words of mine to fall to the ground. um, And anything that you have to say would um, pierce hearts, Lord. Um, I do ask that we would be a people that are um, not just in the rhythm of coming to church every Sunday and we hear what you have to say and then our lives are never changed by it, Lord, but I I do ask that today that we would be a people that are shaped by your word. Um, We begin to look more and more like your son, Jesus. Um, And we pray that even today, just for Father's Day, Lord, that you would feel honored and glorified and um, that you would just be well pleased with this gathering. I ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, we are looking at Philippians chapter 4 first, um, verses 10 through 20. Uh, In this passage, we see that the Apostle Paul uh, is currently imprisoned for the gospel, and he brings up... Uh, Two things in this passage that I'm going to talk about briefly. Um, Let's go ahead and jump in. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help For my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. I have received from Ephroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering and sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. Um, So for me, whenever I read that passage, two things kind of stand out to me. One, contentment, um, which is what we'll be mostly talking about today. But um, I also just see a great appreciation of thanksgiving for one, God's provision, but his provision through his church. And so for me, I wanted to give just a brief kind of word of thanksgiving, because I I connect to the way that Paul feels when he says so much of this, and really the way that I feel about you, the way that he feels about the 
the church of Philippi. I feel that way about Stonebridge. Um, so I, I pastor a small church uh, called the Church at Dwell, and we are a simple and missional expression of church. We, we live and work and worship in our apartment complex off of um, Franklin Gateway and since the beginning, so Megan and I, my wife Megan and I, we started coming here in 2016, and then I did an internship here, and um, during that internship, God kind of began to put together this vision of doing church the way that we do it now, and much of our model runs off of support, not much, almost all of our model runs off of support, right? Um, and, and whenever he talks about, like, you have been with me since the beginning, right? I, I think about this church and that not only the church as, as an organization like that they've given, but like so many individuals within this church have supplied for our needs for us to be able to do the things that God has called us to. And so I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for each and every one of you. Honestly, I, I am moved to tears at times whenever I think about the way that God has provided because many times I haven't even had to ask. Honestly, I'm terrible at fundraising, um, uh, but I'm so grateful for this church and the way that God has moved through you guys because I, I haven't had to ask. You hear about the need or you hear about what God's doing and you just... Give. So thank you. And so today, I'm not here to, to seek the gift, but rather the fruit that increases to your credit. And so I wanted to be able to just give you a very brief, a very brief um, uh, update kind of on what's been going on. So our mission has always been to expose our community to the gospel and word and deed. Um, and so... I'm just going to like lump everybody together. I would just say over the past four and a half years that we've been in our community, we've probably shared the gospel in word with hundreds of people um, and that seeds are uh, seeds of truth and the gospel are always being sown into the lives of, of children and teenagers and adults and elderly people. Um, but really what I'm so grateful for and really where I feel like we see the fruit is, is that we get to expose people to the gospel in word and deed. It's the deed part that you guys are really, I mean, all of it is so significant that they have to come together. But um, this is where I feel like I see God moving in our church is that because we live in the community that we're serving, because we, we work there and we worship there and we are doing life side by side with all of these people that we're trying to reach, that... I see that people are beginning to witness the gospel lived out, right? They don't, they don't just hear about this Jesus that can change their life. They get to, to watch a group of believers that have come together and, are, and are, they're just living it out. They see the messy parts of our life whenever we don't get it all right. They see when things are difficult and we're struggling and, and they get to see what does it look like to actually follow Jesus when life isn't easy, or what does it look like for a husband and a wife to get in an argument? Because we all get in arguments, right? Like, and, and to see that, well, we also just, we get reconciled and we ask for forgiveness and we love and serve one another. Our community is exposed to the gospel because of the gifts that you've given us in order for us to be rooted and planted in the place that we are. 
Um, and we see that people are beginning to not only know what God says, but they know how to follow what God says. Not that we do it perfectly, but um, we get that opportunity. And so I just wanted to take a moment to just say thank you. Um, you guys are truly a beautiful church, and um, I pray that you are able to do for others what you've done for us also. Um, if you want more information, there is a slide that has stuff. I, I just made a website. Um, it might not be good, but just, you know, you can scan it. This will also be up at the end of the service if you want to learn more about what we're doing. Um, so, yeah, let's get into the, the meat. Um, now, I want to just talk about contentment, which is um, really a big part of what I think we learned from this passage. The Apostle Paul talks about contentment in this way that is kind of like dumbfounding. Dumb, I don't know the word. Um, it, it just this unfathomable contentment, right? Like no matter his situation, he talks about, I have learned to be content in all things. And I remember the first time, maybe not the first time I read this passage, but I remember looking to it. Um, I think it was even just earlier this year. I felt like the Lord put on my heart the word contentment. It's just something that I've been studying and I'm trying to look into. And I, I went to this passage probably first and I thought, okay, he says, I have learned the secrets, right? Like I've learned the, the secrets to being content in all of these circumstances. And I'm like, okay, but, but what's the secret, right? I don't feel like he tells me exactly what it is. Um, and so uh, I'm trying to, to figure that out still, but hopefully we can dig into that together. Um, how do we be content? Or are we content like this? Honestly, whenever I think about contentment for us, right, like that word also means satisfied. Are we satisfied? When we try to figure out, in our own, maybe in your hearts right now, you're thinking, am I content? What is it that I feel? For us, oftentimes what we do is we kind of pile things up in our life. We have the good pile and the bad pile. And if the good pile is bigger than the bad pile, then we're content. But that's not always the case, and that's not the kind of contentment Paul's talking about, because he's saying even when the bad pile is bigger than the good pile, he's still content. So I think for myself, and I think for many of us that uh, we're, not, we're not content, not all the time at least, um, so that means that we're probably either discontent or complacent, and so I'm kind of... I don't mean this to be a super corrective uh, message, but it'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, so discontent, the way that I would communicate that is to, to feel like you need more, and particularly discontentment as a sin would be to, to pursue something apart from God in order to satisfy ourselves. And to be complacent means, in its actual definition, right, to be self-satisfied. It's to after you pursued that thing apart from God to try to satisfy yourself, that you would become complacent to be self-satisfied in something apart from God. I think that for myself and for many of us that there's times when we thought, oh yeah, I am content, but um, if we really sat with it long enough, we'd realize that we are complacent, that we're self-satisfied. 
Um, on the screen, you'll see Proverbs 30. I think we see that these two temptations, discontent and complacent in it, and we'll break that down. Um, Proverbs 30 says this, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I will become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. So for me, whenever I break this down, you'll see on the next slide, I highlighted some things. So we see that um, dis, uh, to be complacent, right? That is to, to be self-satisfied is, is the one who is, who is rich, right? Who says everything that they need. And, and so they're like, well, who is God? And so I don't think that many of us are in that place where we're saying, who's the Lord? Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be here. But I do think that there are parts of our life that we become extremely complacent because maybe we just truly don't feel like we need God's help. Um, just uh, briefly, I, just even thinking about for me, like I used to drive a, a really beat up car and every time I got in it, I had to pray that it would turn on. Um, and then now I have a nicer car and I don't really pray when I get in the car. I don't need God's help there. You know, maybe that's a silly example, but I think that many of us have become complacent in these saying, who is the Lord? I don't need his help. I took care of that. Um, but then on the other side of that, to be discontent is to, to want for something other than what God has provided, to become too poor and steal and so dishonor God. I bring this passage up because uh, a handful of years ago, early on in Megan and I's marriage, we were living out in Dallas, Georgia in a, in a house that was, we were paying five seventy-five dollars a month in rent. And um, like most newlyweds, our home was filled with like hand-me-downs and things that people had given to us. And um, it's probably six o'clock in the morning and I'm having this quiet time in my living room. And I come upon this passage and it just like, it just punches me in the face because I look up at my home, my small home, modest living, and I think, oh man, I'm rich. Compared to the world, I am so wealthy. So if I'm rich and this prayer is saying, give me neither riches nor poverty, but only my daily bread, I'm like, God, I, I don't want anything less than what I have. But I just felt that God kept stirring in my heart. He's like, you need to pray this prayer right now. And I didn't want to. I was terrified to pray this prayer. And I think that many of us would be terrified to pray this prayer because it might possibly mean that our daily bread, what God would have for us, could be less than what we currently have. We would be terrified because we don't just want enough, we want more than enough. But I would add that that prayer has been probably one of the greatest blessings of my life. Um, however, this endless desire for, that lives within us where we constantly want something more, feeling as though it's going to satisfy us. This is what marketing has been playing off of um, 
since its origin, right? It's, it's this product will satisfy you. You will be content once you have this. The, not that any of us would ever buy any product that we saw on TV or bought a house. And we thought, okay, all of my life will then be content once I have that. But, but we think maybe if I am satisfied with this thing that they're selling, then, then the pile of good things in my life will become a little bit bigger than the pile of bad things in my life. And I'll at least be one step closer to being content. I'm one of those people that whenever I um, order anything online, I look up like five million user reviews. Like I wanna know like, is this thing really gonna work? Is it really going to satisfy me? I don't know if you guys are that way. Like it, uh, on Amazon, is, am I allowed to say Amazon? I don't even know. Um, <laughs> am I gonna get in trouble for that? Um, but uh, things will just sit in my cart forever because I just keep thinking about it. Like, do I really need that? Do I really want that? Like, is it going to, to help me? Um, but, but we all kind of, many of us do that. We want to know what the, the user, their customer satisfaction rate is on these products because I want to know, is it really going to satisfy me? Um, and this made me think about one of my friends, uh, a lunch I had had with him several years ago, and he um, sat down with me, and he wanted to get a customer satisfaction rate on Jesus, essentially. He wanted to know, man, if I, if I buy in to this Jesus, am I going to be satisfied? So we're sitting there at lunch, and he says, Russell, are, are you happy? Are you, are you satisfied with your life? And I paused. <laughs> because I felt like the, the Christian script would tell me that, of course, I have to say, yes, my life is perfect now. Everything is great now that I have Jesus. I never struggle. I'm never discontent. But I think that we've been doing that to people for far too long. We've been giving people these cookie-cutter Christian answers, and, and what happens is that people then um, sign up for this Jesus, and then, and then they, they get into it, and they find out that, that maybe it's not always a cakewalk. Maybe they don't get everything that they thought they were supposed to, and then they're disappointed, and maybe some of them walk away from their faith because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. And so I didn't want to do that. I was like, I wanted to give him a true answer. And so I said this, yes, but I'm a bit of a glutton. God is enough, but sometimes I want more. Many of us have been to dinner parties over at a friend's house, and maybe they make a beautiful spread, and we sit at this table, and we eat and eat and eat, and we become so Full, so satisfied, we're kind of unbuttoning that button in our pants and we're thinking, oh, I couldn't possibly eat another bite. And then the host comes out with a carton of uh, ice cream and says, anybody want some? And our response oftentimes, we've all heard this, my dessert stomach's not full. I've always got room for dessert, right? We were satisfied, but we wanted more. Even though we obviously don't have two stomachs, um, I do think that this speaks to a very 
real part of who we are. There is a spiritual reality to this thing, and um, it is that we have an appetite of the soul and an appetite of the flesh. And we want both to be satisfied oftentimes. But if we try to feed both, then we just end up becoming um, fat and lethargic, complacent. But if we feed the flesh and neglect the soul, then slowly but surely that soul begins to shrivel up and die. But if we feed the soul and neglect the flesh, then slowly that one begins to shrivel up and die, just the way Jesus says it's supposed to. When we look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 8, it says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Um, I wrote a poem a little while back, um, a long while back, it feels like now, but uh, I wanted to share it with you guys. Um, you guys know how people have babies and they always think that they're beautiful, but they're not always? <laughs> um, sometimes like writing poems are that way, like if it really means something to you. I don't know that this is any good, <laughs> but it's close to my heart, right? So uh, if it's an ugly baby, don't tell me. Um, (laughs) but I I wrote this poem in a time in my life. So I, you know, I grew up, um, a follower of Jesus and I grew up in a Christian home and, um, but I didn't really know how to sow to the spirit, right? I didn't know always how to like feed that appetite. And so I really found myself very dissatisfied with God for a very long time. And so I graduated high school and, uh, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I spent, pretty much a solid year saying, I'm I'm just going to reap into the flesh. I'm going to sow into the flesh because I just want to be satisfied. There's something in me that's so hungry. And so I, I did that for a year. And so I wrote this poem kind of at the end of that year when God began to change things for me. And, um, this was kind of a a heart cry. So, um, I'm going to close my eyes while I say this, um, because it's just easier. I woke up beside myself this morning, rubbed my fingers through the thick of my hair, listened to the depth of my breathing. As I watched myself sleep, I thought, he can't satisfy what I desire and I can't fill the holes in him because those same holes are in me. When I recognized that I had cracked the heavy window to my eyes and slightly smiled at myself, I whispered, I know that you don't love me. And responded, no, but I'll always be there in the morning. I walked beside myself this afternoon. My figure stretched across the rocks and rubble. My shadow confides in me, confesses his darkest secrets to me. He speaks. My flesh is shackled to my bones, the prison to my soul, and this hollow heart has no room for redemption. I have sympathy for him. He speaks my mind. 
I sat beside myself this evening. Unaware of my canvas's capacity to bear these burdens, passions, and thoughts, the unpleasant texture of the brushstroke, abstract, thick, complex, simplistic, he appears so full, but feels so empty. At night, I am not alone. I never leave my side. I am beside myself. Am I the man I think I am? Do my failed attempts to quench my thirst for love with lust define me? Do I believe these complex lies carefully constructed within the framework of my mind? Does this soul have any substance? No, I'm not the man I know I am because there's still something good that resides in me, but everything that I am contradicts everything that he is and it leaves me restless. So I've got to hold fast to the me unseen, hold fast to the Holy Spirit inside me because my demons never cease in their attempts to sing me to sleep. They fear to awake the sleeping giant inside me, Holy Spirit inside me. Redefine me. When I wrote these words, I felt at my end. I felt like I had done everything I could to fill that hole. And nothing worked and I had to run back to God because I believed that only he could satisfy me. And so I just wanted to share it with you all today because I trust that there's at least one person, one person here that's feeling this way. Someone that's been trying and trying and trying to fill that hole with something other than God and finding that all it does is bring more sorrow and less contentment. And I share it also because I know that each of us have these demons that never cease in their attempts to sing us to sleep. They do not want us to be awake to the truth. There are three great enemies of the soul, that is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And each of them use the same weapon, and that is lies. So their lie is oftentimes that God is not enough. But I think that the lie that many of us have believed, it's so deeply ingrained in us that we don't even really acknowledge that it's there. Um, And I think it's such a stupid lie, so cliche that we think, I couldn't possibly believe that. And yet, so much of our life would say, we do believe it. And I think that the lie that we believe is this. The grass is actually greener on the other side. That if I just got that person, if I could just get that wife, or if I could just get that job, or if I could just get that raise, or that house, or that kid, then I will be satisfied. Then I'll be content. If I can get to that place. I'll have everything that I need. 
But the truth is this, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The author of Hebrews is saying, be content with what you have, for he has said this. So we think that contentment sometimes comes from that person or that place or that thing and that God is supposed to help us get that thing, that he is the means to the ends of commitment, contentment. But that's not what it's saying is be content with what you have. Here's what you have. He has promised that he will never leave you or forsake you. See, God isn't the means to our end. God is the means and the end. It is in him and in his faithful presence with us. What a beautiful promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter where we are, how big the piles are of good things and bad things, that when the presence of God is with us, we can be content. Because we have everything that we need. If this were not true, it would be impossible for Paul to write in Philippians for these things. He says, no matter his circumstances. Let's read it again. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secrets of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's contentment was not bound to his position or his possessions. His contentment was found in the presence of God. And the presence of God is what led him to Rome where he would be arrested and ultimately killed for his faith. But he was content the whole way through. Satisfied. So if we want to be a people who are content, which I believe we all do, we all want to be satisfied, then we need to be a people who are practicing the presence of God. I feel like I've talked about this before. I know I talk about it in my church all the time. It's something that's, um, I feel like, the Christian life, uh, it is the practice of the presence of God. And um, this is not something that I am perfect at, but it's something that I'm growing in. Um, and so I just want to share with you guys just a few points that I feel like are maybe some practical steps for us to take towards practicing the presence of God and ultimately contentment. Um, so there's three things. Um, moving from being around God to being with God move from speaking to God to speaking with God and move from thinking about God to thinking of God. So I'm going to break that down for us. Moving from being around God to being with God. Um, many of us um, know what it's like to be around our partner, right? Like you go home, especially if you do have kids, then you realize how distracting and all-consuming they can be. And so your partner can be in your home or even your roommate, and you guys can be around each other, but you're not like, you're not with each other. You're not connecting. But every once in a while, maybe you're kind of like in the midst of the hustle and bustle of the day, you just kind of like look your partner in the eye and you think, I'm with you. 
Hi, I see you. I love you. Are you okay? <laughs> you know, um, we're surviving. Right? That's what it means to be with your partner and not just like, oh, yeah, we're in the same room. Right? I can be at a party and be around a lot of people, but I'm not really with anyone. See, to be with God, right? Like we, all of us probably believe that God is everywhere, right? He is with us right here and in our car and when we're at home and when we're at work. Like he is in all places at all times. But how often do we actually stop and pause and, and look at him and say, I see you. I see you. I know you're here with me. If we slowly but surely begin to practice this, just acknowledging his presence and not just believing that he's around all the time, I think that would be a way towards contentment. Next is moving from speaking to God to speaking with God. So uh, all of us talk to God, but not all of us um, talk with God. And um, to talk with someone means to have a conversation. And uh, sometimes that means you stop talking. You listen. I think we want to listen. Oftentimes we want to listen, but our life is just so noisy. We never take enough time to turn off the podcast or the music or the TV or whatever it is. We're constantly just letting this noise into our life. And I think that even though God can speak through those things, we really need to get back to the practice of listening, of being quiet. We need to just get in our cars and turn the radio off and not make that phone call or do that productive thing. Just sit long enough to hear from God in a still small voice. And lastly, we need to be a people who move from thinking about God to thinking of God. Um, many of us think about God. I, my job is pretty much to think about God half the time. I had to think a whole lot about God to write this passage, but, um, or to write this sermon. But I know for myself that there's a big difference between thinking about God and thinking of God. To think of God is to kind of, it's to consider him. It's like, God, what do you want to say? I can sit here and think all about your word and I can build out this sermon based on what I think and these other things that I've read and whatever. Like, instead of just sitting and like, what, do you have anything to say to Stonebridge? What do you want? To consider him. I think that oftentimes in our life that we kind of create these guardrails of, of commands and God's values and we say anything that I kind of do within these guardrails is fair game and I'm just going to kind of live my life with that and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to just come with me and to bless the things that I do in my life. But that's not being led by the Spirit. That is leading the Spirit. But thank God for his mercy and his promises. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How good is God that even in those times in our life when he say, I'm going this way and I want you to come along, he's still so faithful. But that's not what he wants for us. To consider God is to say, no, God, I don't want to go where I want to go and ask you to come along. I want to know what do you want where are you going and how can I follow you? 
See, because the Spirit of God is always going to lead us into places of satisfaction, even when it's hard. It is always, always, always what is best for us, even when it's hard. I believe that we will find contentment if we acknowledge his presence, listen to his voice, and consider him enough to ask him what he wants for our life. Instead of just asking him to come along with what we want. Um, I wasn't sure what to say. I didn't really do anything for Father's Day, but whenever we were doing prayer this morning, it made me think a little bit about dads. I hope you guys don't mind that I take a second to talk about I wasn't going to say anything about dads. Um, but I think about being a dad. Um, there's this other maybe mantra I feel like God's given me over the past couple of years, and it says, you can't lead people where you're not going. Um, and so for me, if, if I'm meant to kind of lead people into a deeper and richer relationship with God, then I regularly, the most important part of my work is for me to go and do that first, right? I need to make sure that, that my relationship with God is, is solid, I'm practicing the presence of God. And, and, I, and I think about us as fathers, if we are leading our families, or even if in your work setting, whatever it is, if you're leading in any area of your life that you have influence, you can't lead anyone where you're not going. And so um, we do all of these things as fathers to, to create um, contentment or satisfaction for our families because we try to remove as much suffering as possible. We go through great lengths to create to, to provide um, college funds or cars or, or the medical, atten- whatever it is, like we go through great lengths to make sure that our children and our wives don't suffer so that they can be content, so that they would be satisfied. But my encouragement to you men that if you want your family to be satisfied, You have to follow the Spirit. You have to be present with God. You have to prioritize Him because you can't lead your kids where you're not going. If you have everything that you want and yet you're still not satisfied, how is that path going to lead your kids to anything better? See, the way that follows Jesus and walks with Jesus is the way of contentment, and that's where we should be leading our families. And I believe, ultimately, that we will be a people. Our churches and our families are going to stand in contrast to the world, to our culture, if we become a people that practice this, if we become a people that are truly content, then I believe wholeheartedly, right? I believe that for my own neighborhood, everything that we're, we're doing as a church and in the way that we're trying to live our life in a way that we can be seen is I know that if they could just see our lives and us actually be content and satisfied in God, people are going to begin to ask the question, what is that? 
All that I've ever wanted was to be satisfied and I've pursued everything trying to get it. And those people have it figured out. No matter their circumstances, when things are good or bad, they're content because they have Jesus. That's what I want for us and for our community. So, um, Bo will come up and lead us in another song. Um, we're, for ministry time, um, what I would like to do is, um, Bo's going to be singing this song uh, called I Surrender. It's one of my favorite songs. Um, and my hope is that um, we would all stand and engage uh, with him. You don't have to stand just yet. But we would stand and engage with the Lord and just really just kind of our hearts cry being, God, I surrender what I want. I surrender what I want and just help me to want what you want because I trust that your way is what leads to contentment. And if you would be bold enough to pray that Proverbs prayer, give me neither riches nor poverty, but only my daily bread. That God, what, I don't want to take anything apart from you and I don't want to have so much that I say, I don't need you. But be willing to say, no matter what the consequences of this are, God, I'm willing to just say, all that I want and all that I need is you. Um, if you want to receive prayer, my encouragement is actually that we as a church would minister to one another instead of just, uh, I think it's beautiful that we have people that come up and, and that we're able to, to come up to the altar and um, uh, just receive prayer. But my encouragement for you guys is as when we all stand up for worship that those um, that would like to receive prayer would actually sit and that they would, um, not everybody is physically able to stand. And so the way we'll distinguish the difference is those that want to receive prayer will, will sit down and, and just open up your hands and put them in your lap. And nobody has to pray out loud or do anything. But when you see the person in the room that, that's sitting in your row or down across the row that has their hands in their lap, just know that, that right now they're in a place where they just want more of Jesus. They want to be satisfied by him and him alone. And so you can decide to pray in your heart. Maybe don't touch them, but even just extend a hand to pray for them. Um, and so that's how we'll do ministry time. So I, I will pray for us and we'll jump in. Um, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for your faithful promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. God, I'm sorry for all the moments that, that we've tried to be satisfied by something other than you. Lord, I pray that you would just know the boundaries of our heart. Know that there's this number of rich and poor that determine whether 
you know, God, you, you, you know the boundaries of our hearts. At what point do we become too rich and begin to say, who are you, God? Don't let us go past that. Or what's the boundary of poverty? It can be different for each of us, Lord, that we begin to steal and, and take more than what it is that you would have for us. So, so God, know the boundaries of our hearts, and I pray that you would give us the boldness to say, all I want is you and whatever it is that you want for me. I pray that you would give these men and these fathers the boldness to lead their families towards contentment. Because they can't lead their families where they're not going. Lord, I pray that they would walk with you and towards you. I pray that you would no longer be the means to our end, but you would be our means and our end. I ask for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. Thank you.